Well, good evening everyone. It's uh, good to be here this evening. Thank you for the welcome and the invite to come and share God's word with you. So this evening I'll be speaking from Esther chapter 8. So if you want to turn in in your Bibles to Esther chapter 8. And I'll just outline a little bit of context of what's, what's what's been going on in Esther. So the book Esther, the main characters of Esther are Mordecai, Esther, King Ahasuerus, and Haman. Mordecai and Esther, they're, they're Jewish and they are related. And the setting is Persia. And you may know the book of Esther is unique because it does not mention God in the whole book. But as we go through the chapters of Esther, we clearly see that God is present in the circumstances. In chapter 1, King Asasurus has a, has a banquet. And he displays all his majesty to many people. He wanted to show off all his possessions and his control. But we saw his control was limited as his wife rejected his command to show her beauty to everyone. The king then, he he had her dethroned. And then we don't hear about Vashti again in the book. And then in chapter 2, we notice the wickedness of the king. He wanted a new queen. And he brings in lots of women into the kingdom. He, he sleeps with them and then he picked the one he liked best. And then we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. They're both Jewish, living in a land far away from Israel. And then we also saw at the end of chapter 2 that Mordecai, he saved the king from death. But he was not rewarded right away. And then chapter 3, we, we came to Haman. He was promoted to second in command and Mordecai annoyed Haman. So Haman decided that he would not just kill Mordecai, but he would kill all Mordecai's people, the Jews. This vastly evil plan of Haman in chapter 3 is written in law to have all the Jews decimated. And then in chapter 4 we saw why Esther became queen. She became queen to save her people. And Mordecai, he tells her to go and plead with the king to save her people with the king. And then chapter 5 showed Esther's plan. She was going to have a banquet uh, and with the king and Haman. And then she'd tell the king about Haman's plan. And then she'd plead with the king to save her people, the Jews. Esther, she delayed it. And then in chapter 5, she invited the king and Haman to another banquet. But on the way home, Haman again, he saw Mordecai, and Mordecai didn't bow to him, so Haman was furious, and he decided that he was going to kill Mordecai right away. And then in chapter 6, Haman was advised by his friends and family to set up a big pole and have Mordecai hung on it. And then Haman, he decides to go and ask the king for permission to do this. But then in Esther chapter 6 and 7, we see the clear hand of God. As Haman's going to the king to get permission to kill Mordecai, we see in chapter 6, that very night, the king couldn't sleep. And then in chapter 6, verse 2, the king just happens to find out that Mordecai needs rewarding. Because as I said at the start of the book, at the end of chapter 2, Mordecai saved the king from death. And the king didn't reward Mordecai. So the king, he wants to reward Mordecai, but Haman, he enters the king's presence to ask the king for Mordecai to be killed. But then the king, he straight away asks, what should be done for the man the king delights to honour? 
And the king, he wants to honour Mordecai because Mordecai saved the king. But Haman is asked this by the king and Haman just thinks, the king must want to honour me. So Haman says, the one the king delights to honour, let this man be dressed up in the king's robe and put on the king's horse and be honoured throughout the city. After Haman had said this, the king said, go, do this for Mordecai. Then after that, Haman was obviously embarrassed and he went home. But in chapter 7, he was brought back for the next banquet with Esther and the king. Esther gets favour from the king and she reveals that Haman, the second in command to the king, he's the one who put the law to kill the Jews. And the king, he's furious and has Haman killed on a pole that he set up for Mordecai. So at the end of chapter 7, Haman, the enemy of the Jews, he's been killed, he's been dealt with. The man who brought about the law to have all the Jews decimated, he's been killed. So at the start of this passage, uh, we see that Esther receives Haman's property. And we also see Esther revealing that Mordecai is related to her. And the king gives Mordecai the role of Haman. Haman, the enemy of the Jews, is gone. Mordecai is now his second in, in command. So now it wouldn't be an outrageous thought to think, now the Jews are okay, the story of Esther can end. But although that might be our first thought, the story isn't finished. In fact, in this passage, we, sneak, we come to the point where the Jews need deliverance. In chapter 8, we see deliverance for the Jews. So let's now read Esther chapter 8. <coughs> On that day, King Assasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favour in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Assasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hung, hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews, in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time, in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, 
on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to that according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Assasurus and sealed it, with the king's signet ring. Then he sent letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women, Included and to plunder their goods on one day throughout all the provinces of King Assasurus on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. A copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted, and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. This is God's word. In your life, what bad outcome have you been delivered from? Maybe you've been delivered from an illness, maybe a family crisis, maybe you've been delivered from a bad relationship. When we get delivered from something bad, it brings us joy and happiness because we're delivered from a bad situation. When we see what we've been delivered from, it brings us joy and and gratitude. In Esther chapter 8, we have a people who are delivered from destruction, which leads them to rejoice in their deliverance. Esther chapter 8 reminds us of our deliverance and reminds us to rejoice in it. We as believers in Jesus are delivered from God's judgment and should rejoice in the salvation that God has given to us. Today in Esther A, as we see God's people delivered from destruction, we can be reminded of God's deliverance for us in Jesus. So let's get into this chapter and see deliverance for the Jews. So in this passage today, Esther, she wants to bring deliverance for her people. We've already said in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8 that Mordecai, he comes in second in command to the king. And Esther, she receives Haman's estate, his property. 
They are now safe. Esther and Mordecai, they're in the palace. They themselves, they would be in a place of self-security. They're both with the king. They're free from this edict for the Jews. They're free from destruction. But the rest of the Jews, they still have this death sentence upon them. So what will Esther do? We see in chapter 8 that Esther again, she pleads for her people. Although comfortable and secure now in the palace, Esther seeks deliverance for her people. Notice it starts in verse 3. Notice verse 3, verses 3 to 6, the request of deliverance. The request of deliverance, verses 3 to 6. Esther wants her people to be delivered from the decree set up by Haman. And we see in verse 3, Esther, she's fallen at the king's feet and she's weeping, pleading for her people to be free from the evil plan of Haman. And again, it's like earlier in the book, the king, he extends Esther the golden scepter to show her favor. In Esther 7, verses 3 to 5, Esther asks the king to grant her life as her wish. And her request was for her people, the Jews. And now, Esther, she goes straight for her people. Her life is granted, she's now safe, but her people are still in danger. The Jews, they have that law that Haman set up. They have that law that they will be destroyed. And in Esther, in verse 5, she continues, she asks the king boldly to let an order be written to overrule the decree that Haman made. Let this evil law be overruled so that the Jews aren't decimated throughout your kingdom. That's what she's saying to the king. And Esther hits the heart of her message in verse 6. Notice what she says. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Just imagine Esther here. She's a real person with real emotions. Just think what's going through her mind. What would Esther be thinking? We see in this passage that she lets all her emotions out with love for her people. A longing that they would be delivered from destruction that's coming upon them. Esther no longer thinking about herself like in chapter 4 where she's unsure whether to go to the king. Now she's safe, secure in the palace, has nothing to worry about. Yet Esther, she pleads desperately for her family to be delivered. She goes to the king on behalf of her family, those who are heading for destruction. Isn't this a picture for us as believers in Jesus? There are two encouragements here. The first encouragement is we're in a similar position as Esther. She's secure in the palace. And we as Christians, we have security in Christ. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and in him we are saved. And because of Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And John 6.40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In Christ, we as believers are absolutely secure. We're safe and kept 
in Jesus. Jesus emphasizes that in John 10, 28 and 29. Jesus here talking about those who believe in him. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Today as a Christian you are totally secure and safe. In Jesus. But what did Esther do with her secure position? She pleaded with the king for those who weren't secure. This is a second encouragement for us as Christians. We can plead with the gracious Father to save our unbelieving family, our unbelieving friends, anyone who doesn't yet know Christ. We see Esther pleading with the king, and it can be an illustration of what we can do. For our unbelieving friends and family. Those who don't know Jesus yet. But how was Esther motivated? She saw the future of her family. She says in verse 6. How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? This caused Esther to plead with the king for her people. And it's a sensitive uh, topic. We don't want to think about the future of unbelievers, especially our families. But Esther's knowledge of her family's pending destruction brought her to her knees. And we too as believers have access to the Father. We can pray and plead with him to save our unbelieving friends and family. We can plead with him to change hard hearts and give us opportunities with those who don't know the Lord. And I'm sure we do that. I'm sure we do that often. We pray For those who don't know the Lord. But let's not give up. Let's keep pleading with the Father to save. Our Father loves us and he loves to hear our cry. And never forget this. He is able to save. He can save and he will save anyone who goes to Jesus. But what will happen here in Esther chapter 8? As Esther pleads with the king, will she be successful? Will her people, her family, be saved from the coming destruction? We see that in the next part, verses 7 to 14, the decree of deliverance. Point two, the decree of deliverance, verses 7 to 14. In verse 7, the king, he responds to Esther and he tells Esther and Mordecai that because of Haman's attack on the Jews, he's given Esther Haman's house. And the king has had Haman impaled. He's had Haman killed. And then the king says, verse 8, Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews. And the king says, Seal it with the king's signet ring, because no document written in the name, in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. And the king speaks here in a similar way to what he, how he spoke to Haman in chapter 3. So this makes us ask the question, how will the Jews be delivered? How can there be another decree written if when the king seals a document in his name it must stand and Haman's decree to have the Jews killed is written in law and sealed by the king's ring? How can it be overturned? So what happens here? The king is saying, write another decree on behalf of the Jews. Write another decree that will go alongside Haman's decree So that the Jews will be delivered. So again as the new decree is written we see in verse 9. 
the royal secretaries are summoned. And he says that it was written on the 23rd day of the third month. And notice in verse 9, it's Mordecai who puts together the law. And this new decree is written to all the 127 provinces of the king. And written in each people's language. Verse 10. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Assasurus. He sealed with the signet ring. And sent it out by couriers who rode fast horses. So this, so this new decree is sent out. Mordecai has put it together. But what is it going to say? How will this new decree deliver the Jews from the other decree? So what's the new, new decree? Notice verses 11 and 12. The new decree says that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives. To destroy, to kill and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them. Children and women included and to plunder their goods on one day throughout all the provinces of King Assasurus on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. So this new decree is a decree for the Jews to defend themselves. This is for the Jews to kill anybody who attacks them. And the day that it's given is the same day that Haman's decree will happen. So last, last week, it, on Wednesday, it was Valentine's Day and the start of Lent. The 14th of February was both Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. And that was the first time that it happened since 1945. Two different occasions happening on the same day. In Esther chapter 8, two different things have been decreed for the same day. And both cannot be revoked. They will both happen It's written in law that the Jews have a death sentence, but it's also written that they can defend themselves. These two decrees are a slim version of the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit. The law of sin and death is the Old Testament law of God. The law is holy and just, but because we cannot keep God's law on our own, the only result is sin and death for us. And God has said that everybody who sins will die. The wages of sin is death. God has said that every person who sins will receive judgment. And this has to happen. This cannot be changed or overturned. And the Bible tells us that every single one of us have fallen short of God's standards. This means that every person is under the law of sin and death, heading for destruction, just like these Jews here in Esther chapter 8. And God cannot overpass this. He, he cannot just overpass sin. Why? Because he is perfectly just. He must punish evil. And God cannot lie. Therefore whatever God says it will happen. But just like uh, in Esther chapter 8. There's a new law in place. That will bring deliverance for the Jews. The law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death is what we're all bound to and cannot escape. Sorry, I said that wrong. Just like in Esther chapter 8, there's a new law in place that will bring deliverance for the Jews. The law of sin and death is also what we're bound to and cannot escape. But through Jesus Christ, we are released from the law of sin and death. 
The law of the spirit in Romans chapter 8 sets us free from the law of sin and death. Notice what Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are delivered through the gospel of Jesus from the judgment that comes because of our sin. God, he does not abolish the law. Instead, he has salvation for us in Jesus, the one who took our sin and judgment upon the cross. So God is still just and the justifier of the ungodly because God will deal with sin either on Jesus or on the one who rejects Jesus. They will receive judgment. Although we can compare these two decrees here to the decrees of God, they aren't exact. God's law on sin is good and right, but Haman's law to have the Jews destroyed is is obviously wicked, evil and unjust. God's decree of the gospel is good and it brings believers into eternal security. The decree here given by Mordecai for the Jews is only temporal deliverance. We see here in this chapter that the Jews are delivered from their destruction. But just a side note, the Jews aren't told just to kill and destroy people. They they are to kill those who attack them, defend themselves against their enemies. Those who are following the decree of Haman. Those who are seeking to carry out the destruction of the Jews. And this doesn't mean today that we as God's people are to kill those who don't follow Jesus, obviously. This was a decree for a specific time and period of history only. Now as God's people, Jesus has won the victory for us over our enemies. And one day he will finish that work. So let's get back into the chapter. This new decree or law goes out. And it goes out so that, verse 13, the Jews would be ready to avenge their enemies on that day. And this edict is made known to everyone. So verse 14, it's issued in Susa. Just think about that. This decree is made known to everyone. Here on the 23rd day of the third month, a new decree is made that on the 13th day of the 12th month, the Jews will be delivered. The Jews have deliverance from their destruction. What does this lead to? How do the Jews respond to this new decree? Notice the last point, verses 15 to 17. The result of deliverance. Verses 15 to 17, the result of deliverance. So what comes after this decree is published? Cast your eye down to verse 15. We see Mordecai is leaving the king's presence, the second in command, and wearing royal garments. And then look at the last part of verse 15. The city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The city, they they respond in joy. Verse 16, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honour. This is a contrast to the end of verse 15 of chapter 3 after Haman's decree for destruction on the Jews came about. The city of Susa was thrown into confusion. They were confused by this death sentence on the law, but now this unjust law has a decree 
against it. Now the Jews will be delivered. What's their response? Their response is joy. Joy because they're delivered from the destruction that was coming to them. And I think defining joy is important. Joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Every believer in Jesus should have joy. And joy is based on a knowledge of the certain hope we have in Jesus. We cannot lose our joy whatever our circumstance. Because our joy is founded upon our security in Christ. We are saved by Christ. Therefore we have joy because we know God. We've been cleansed and forgiven by God. And this can be a challenge for us all as Christians, can't it? Because, let's be honest, we don't always feel joyful, do we? Especially when tricky family situations occur, when things are a struggle at work, and sometimes we just don't feel joy. But we as Christians can have joy by reminding ourselves of who we are in Jesus, reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. And we can remind ourselves of God's deliverance for us in Jesus. Colossians 1 verses 13 to 14 directs us to joy. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have joy because of what Jesus has done for us. And the salvation we have in him. And this joy is ours and can be never taken. Because we are safe and secure in Jesus. This is good news for us as believers. Charles Spurgeon once said. Those who are beloved of the Lord. Must be the most happy and joyful people. To be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. Here in Esther chapter 8. The Jews they give us a great example of joy. They are delivered from their destruction. And they are filled with joy. But what does their joy lead to? Look at verse 17. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. The Jews, they rejoiced in their salvation. They rejoiced at their deliverance. And their joy caused other people from other nationalities to see these Jews. How amazing is that? The Jews, they received deliverance. And it caused them to be overjoyed in that. And because of their joy and deliverance, others saw and became Jews. In this passage, we come face to face with the promises of Abraham being fulfilled. As many people from other nations are coming to believe. And Christians today, we can be a great witness by being joyful. Not meaning that we smile and not get sad about anything. But that the watching world sees that whatever we go through, we hold firm to Jesus. And always seek to be glad in him because of our salvation. That can be a great witness to unbelievers. But as this chapter comes to an end, we see non-Jews becoming Jews. And what is the main reason other nationalities become Jews? Look at the last part of the chapter. Why do they become Jews? For fear of the Jews had fallen on them. The reason people joined up with the Jews was because they were fearful 
of destruction. They saw destruction coming upon them, so they turned and became Jews to avoid the disaster. And I will finish shortly, but I remember when I first became a Christian, one thing that led me to Jesus was the fear of hell. I remember fearing the judgment of God and running to Jesus. And if that's you tonight, go to Jesus. Go to him. It doesn't matter what brings you to Jesus. All that matters is that you go to him for salvation. Because if you've not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus, you too have destruction coming to you. So I urge you, be delivered by Jesus, the deliverer, the saviour. Jesus has come to deliver you, save you from your sin and give you life. And in our world today, not everyone, but many people are beginning to understand that Jesus is king. All over the world, Jesus is building his church. People are being saved and delivered from a life of sin and a future destruction to come. But for those of us who do know Jesus, let's be a people who remind ourselves of our secure position in Christ. And let that be the source of our contentment, joy and happiness. That Christ has delivered us from our sin and we are absolutely secure in him. Amen.